Well, kids, uh, my question for you this morning is this. If you knew what was going to happen at the end of your story, before it happened, do you think it would have an impact on the decisions that you make in your life? Okay? So, for example, if you were booked to be a passenger on the Titanic... And you knew how that trip was going to end before you boarded the boat. What impact do you think that might have on you? Owen? You probably cancel your trip. Yeah, anybody else have another Jubilee? Just walk away? Yeah, you'd probably call your travel agent and have them rebook you on a later ship, right? Or at least, at least, take your own personal flotation device and hand warmers with you, right? You would make some decision that is different. What if you had a ticket to visit Jurassic Park? But before you went, you knew that the security system was going to fail. What impact might that have on your decision to tour the island? Emery? I mean, personally, I'd probably go. That's the way you want to go in life. Okay, have it shut down, right? Uh, you'd probably decide that a trip to the regular old zoo would be just fine for you, thank you very much, right? Or if you were adventurous enough that you wanted to go, you'd probably get in really good shape so that you could outrun all of the other tourists when the dinosaurs were chasing. You'd do something to prepare for that problem. Last one, if you were a stormtrooper on the Death Star and you knew how Luke Skywalker's laser blast from his X-Wing fighter was going to be a direct hit that would set off a chain reaction and destroy the entire space station, what might you do before the Rebel Alliance attacked? Henry? Get an escape pod. Exactly, right? Or at a minimum, at a minimum, you would go to the the far side of the space station, that little sliver that remained after the explosion, right? You would do something to prepare yourself for what was coming. My point is simply this. If we knew our story in advance, and we knew the danger that was coming our way, that would change everything about how we live our lives, wouldn't it? Kids, that's kind of what we're talking about this morning in our sermon. Except we're not talking about science fiction or movie magic. We're talking about the real life warning that God has given to every single one of us about what's going to happen in the future of this world and the future of our story. So the question that we're asking today is not what would we do as if it were some silly pre-sermon question about make-believe scenarios. We're asking the question, what will we do? What will you do when this warning comes to us? So on your activity sheet, I've got some questions for you to answer to help you follow along with the sermon. And after church, if you're willing, I would love for you to come up and share with me your best Hollywood doomsday aversion scenario. All right. You come up with your own uh, best one and share it with me. Churches, we've come to these final three weeks of the year, the church calendar. The lectionary has had us looking at some really difficult passages 
that are all about the coming day of the Lord. When Jesus will return to, to the earth and will bring with him the judgment of God upon the sin and evil of this world. Now, whenever we talk about the judgment of God and the end times, we like to engage these topics like ostriches with our heads in the sand, right? We don't want to see them. We don't want to hear them. We don't want to think about them. We like to pretend that these passages don't exist because they make us really uncomfortable. Just because these topics bring us discomfort doesn't mean that we can ignore them. And the reason we can't just ignore them is because they are found all throughout the Scriptures. And they play an important role in the work of God's salvation history. The Old Testament Scriptures are filled with warnings about the day when the Lord will return to the earth in judgment. Jesus spoke about it often in his life and in his ministry throughout the Gospels, warning people of a day when everyone will give an account for every careless word they've spoken. The prophetic scriptures of the New Testament speak of it also when the Apostle John, while he was in the spirit, wrote the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show what must soon take place in which he describes Jesus leading the armies of heaven in a cosmic battle of good and evil, and where in the end all of creation stands before the throne of God for judgment. And so even though we don't like to think about it, you don't want to hear about it, I don't want to talk about it, Yet because of its essential nature as the culmination of God's work in salvation history, both the church and the scriptures tell us that we must. We must think about these things. You must hear about them. I must talk about them. We must consider the judgment of God. The church lectionary, which which forces us to tell the story of salvation history each and every year, it always ends here with judgment. It brings us at the very end of the year to the very end of times. So the church tells us we must talk about this. And the scriptures do as well in our psalm today, which is a prayer of Moses's. He said, who considers the power of your anger? And your wrath according to the fear of you. Who wants to think about judgment? Moses is saying. But then his request to God is this. Teach us to number our days aright. That we may gain a heart of wisdom. No one wants to think about this. No one wants to talk about this. But we must. Because it's coming. And we need to be ready. And so this morning, that's what we're going to do. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it with me to the book of Zephaniah. Give you a little extra time on that one. Because I needed some extra time this week. Zephaniah is the fourth from the last book of the Old Testament. So almost at the very end of the Old Testament. Turn with me to Zephaniah chapter 1. As we consider... 
as our psalm exhorted us to. The power of God's anger and how to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, in the book of Zephaniah, we have one of the most devastating descriptions of the day of the Lord that occurs in all of the scriptures. And this morning, I want to I want us to invite this passage to address us. I don't want us to stick our head in the sand and ignore this warning. It may be an uncomfortable reality, but it's still a reality. And so I don't want us to avoid it. And I also don't want us to to just overanalyze this passage where we dissect it like a science experiment, right? Analyzing every aspect, trying to figure out what each part means and for who. That's just another way of keeping a passage like this at arm's distance and depersonalizing it. And so I don't want to overanalyze it. And finally, I don't want us to be too quick to jump to the end of the story if you already know what that is. Because when we minimize the dilemma that we face, we cannot help but also minimize the solution to that dilemma as well. And I don't ever want us to do that. And so instead of any of those things, I want to invite you this morning to hear this prophetic message from God with the full weight of its force. I don't want you to hide from it or to depersonalize it or to run past it. I want you to face the uncomfortable reality about God's coming judgment. I want to let Zephaniah have his prophetic voice among us today so that we can receive this warning and respond to it as God intended when he gave it to us in his word. So church, I want you to simply hear the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah to be given to God's people. In verses 2 and 3, we read, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near. Near and hastening fast. The sound of the day is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. Day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty embattlements. 
I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind. Because they have sinned against the Lord, their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all of the earth shall be consumed. For a full and sudden end he will make of the inhabitants of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Can we say thanks be to God? There are a few aspects of this warning that I want to point out. Not in order to analyze them and hold them at arm's distance, but to personalize them and to bring them even closer to home. The first point I want to highlight is the totality of this judgment. It is upon everyone and everything. And while that certainly includes foreign nations and other religions and and all of the people out there, it also includes us. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Man and beast, you and me, everyone and everything, God warns, will experience his judgment. That's a very unpopular belief these days. Most people in the West, if they believe in God at all, don't believe in a God who would do this. And yet the Lord addresses that very sentiment within this warning. In verse 12, he says, I will punish the men who are complacent. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. If you don't believe that God is going to bring his judgment upon the earth on the day of the Lord, then you do not know the God of the Bible. Because he has told us from the beginning to the end of this book that he is going to do it. This same message was in our New Testament reading from 1 Thessalonians 5 this morning, where Paul warned that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, everything's fine, it's okay. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Church, one day the judgment of God is going to come upon this earth suddenly and unexpectedly, and no one will be able to escape it. Whether you believe it or not, whether you are ready for it or not, the judgment of God is going to come upon all of mankind. And I know that's hard for us to understand and to comprehend and to accept, given all of our modern sensibilities, right? That's not how we think God, a loving God, should act. It doesn't make sense to us. Why should this be the case? 
But God is not one like us, Psalm 50 says. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, Isaiah 55 tells us. God is not like us. We are not like him. He sees the full picture. We see only a tiny frame. He knows right from wrong. Our morality is completely warped. He knows what is best for his creation because he created it. He's the creator over it. We have no idea what is best for his creation because we are a created part of it. God is not like us. And so even though we may not understand it and we may not like it, When he tells us in his word that he is going to judge all of creation, we should believe him. And we should accept it. And we should prepare ourselves for it. God's judgment upon the earth is going to be total and it includes you and me. The second point I want to highlight for us out of this passage is the reason for God's judgment. In verse 17, Zephaniah tells us why this judgment will occur when he says, Because they have sinned against the Lord, their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. We take our sins so lightly. But God doesn't. We think our sins not that big of a deal when we commit it over and over and over and over and over again. But God does. His judgment is coming to the earth because of it. From the very beginning, this is what God warned would happen. He told Adam and Eve, if you break my commands, you will die. God built into creation the the way that the world works. And, And when we transgress his ways, destruction is the result. We've seen glimpses of it over and over and over again throughout our lives in all of the pain and suffering that we've caused one another and ourselves by our transgressions. But on the day of the Lord, we will see the destructive nature of our sin completely in its full measure. On that day, we'll see just how destructive our sin really is. We often wonder, why does God have to judge sin anyway? Why can't he just forgive it? But the truth of the matter is, is that we don't want to live in a world where there is no judgment for evil and for wrongdoing that takes place. We don't want a world where people who perpetrate crimes face no consequences. We don't want a world where there's no justice for the oppressed and where wrongs aren't made right. We don't want a God who turns a blind eye towards evil, who winks at wrongdoing, or who refuses to deal with the pain and the suffering caused by sin. We want God to do away with evil. We need Him to. The problem for us is, what's He supposed to do with the evil inside of us? What do we expect God to do about our evil. We want him to get rid of the evil out there, but what about the inside, the evil that's inside of me? And what about the evil that's inside of you? 
that must be dealt with too. This is the reason for God's judgment. It comes because of my sin. And because of your sin. And because we have all sinned against the Lord and done great harm to one another and to His creation. final point I want to highlight about this warning from Zephaniah is that in light of the judgment of God, there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. Verse 18 tells us, neither silver nor gold shall be able to deliver us on the day of the wrath of the Lord. There's almost nothing in this world that money can't buy. It buys favor. It buys influence, it buys power, it buys prestige in our society. It buys secrecy to cover up wrongdoings in the news. It buys privilege and justice in our court systems. It buys escape from accountability for those who can afford to flee or to cover up their wrongdoing. Money's the most powerful influencer in our world. With enough of it, you can do practically anything you want. But no amount of money will help us to evade the justice of God. His scales cannot be tipped. His accountability cannot be outrun. The transgressions against Him cannot be covered up. Left to ourselves, there's nothing that we can do to avoid the judgment of God. And so when we take a step back and and consider this warning from the prophet Zephaniah, along with all of the other warnings in the scriptures about the coming day of the Lord, it paints a picture of our situation that is utterly helpless. God's judgment is coming to all of the earth, including you and me. It's coming because of our sin, which we are all guilty of. And there is nothing that we can do to stop it. That's the human predicament. We can choose to ignore it. We can try and deny it. But we will not be able to avoid it. Left to ourselves, this is the future of all mankind. And it is what we rightly deserve. If that were the end of our story, we would be without any measure of hope. But of course, church, the good news of the gospel is that this need not be the end of our story. And while it remains and will forever remain that there's nothing that we can do in order to save ourselves. That doesn't mean that there's nothing that we can do. For in this warning from Zephaniah, there is one command that God gives to his people. There is one instruction which humanity is told to do. In verse 7, we read, Be silent before the Lord God. In light of the judgment that is to come, the one thing that the Lord tells us to do is to be quiet before Him. We're not to make excuses. We're not to justify ourselves. We're not to try and defend our actions or to minimize our transgressions or to run away and hide. We're told to be silent before the Lord. To be silent before someone is a sign of of respect 
and reverent fear. It's a posture which acknowledges the other's right to speak and not your own. Being silent puts us in a position in which we can pay attention. And the reason that the Lord wants us to pay attention, as we see in the rest of verse 7, is because as His day of judgment draws near, when there is nothing that we can do for ourselves, there is something that He has done for us. And in verse 7 we read that the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. And He has consecrated His guests. When we had nothing to offer for ourselves, God made an offering on our behalf. When we had no way to make ourselves holy and to remove the stain of our sin, God consecrated and made holy His guests by the means of His own sacrifice. When there was nothing that we could do to save ourselves, God has done something to save us. And of course, what this word of hope is pointing forward to is what God would do for his people in sending his son Jesus into the world for our salvation. In John chapter one, we are told to behold him as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the sacrificial Passover lamb who died so that we might live. He bore the penalty and the punishment of our sin in His body when He died upon the cross. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. By His wounds, we are healed. This is the love of God for us, church. This is the love of God for you. God so loved you. That He gave His only Son, that if you believe in Him, you will not perish, but have eternal life. This is the grace of God. This is the gospel, or the good news of Jesus Christ, that then when there was nothing that we could do in order to save ourselves, God did something to save us. God doesn't want anyone to perish. He is going to judge the world. Because sin and evil must be dealt with. But he does not want anyone to perish in that judgment. And so he has offered salvation to us all. He's offered a way for us to have our sin dealt with apart from ourselves. He's chosen to bear it in himself so that we won't have to bear it in ourselves. He is willing to die. So that we might live. And all he asks in exchange is that we be silent before him. To pay attention and look upon the sacrifice that he has offered in our place. To receive it with gratitude. To allow it to make us holy. Will you be silent before the Lord and look upon His sacrifice? Will you obtain salvation through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ? Church, through the prophet Zephaniah and and all of the Scriptures, 
God has told humanity the end of the story and warned us of the judgment that lies ahead. By the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, He's made a way for us to have an alternative ending. A lifeboat off of the Titanic. A helicopter off of Jurassic Island. An escape pod from the Death Star. A deliverance from all of our sin. He's offered us a course of life that radically transforms our future. A life that leads not to darkness, but to deliverance. Not to gloom, but to glory. Not to ruin, but to restoration. Not to judgment, but to justice. Jesus offers us a future where we face not fear, but forgiveness. Where we encounter not loss, but love. A future that is filled not with a harrowing hell, but with a hope of heaven. And all that we need to do in order to inhabit this new reality is to be silent before Him. Look upon the sacrifice that He's made on our behalf and to receive Him with thanksgiving. May we do that. This day and every day for the rest of our lives. For God's glory and for our good. Amen.